Good morning, family, and welcome to another church at home service. We believe that you are still well and kept by the grace of the Lord. And for those who are joining us for the very first time, we say warm welcome. And we would love to get to know you better. We request that you click the link in the description box and then you'll be able to fill in the response card. And we hope that you'll enjoy fellowshipping with us today. As we are listening to the news and reading the news, we hear of the third wave of COVID that is around us, that is upon us. And I believe that, you know, at times we cannot help but wonder and sometimes be afraid that, Lord, when is this going to come to an end? I love the book of Psalms. It talks about a lot about how do we deal with fear. The psalmist in Psalm 121 verse 1 says, I lift up my eyes to the hills. Where does my help come from? And he gives an answer in verse 2 when he says, My help comes from the Lord. And in Psalm chapter 20 verse 7, the Bible also says that some trust in horses, others trust in chariots, but we trust in the name of the Lord. And also the book of Psalms 46 verse 1 says that God is an ever-present help in times of trouble. With these scriptures, I would just love to encourage you that yes, as we are faced with these uncertain times, these challenging and scary times, let us know where our help comes from. The Bible says that our help comes from the Lord. And it also teaches us that the name of the Lord is a strong tower. The rushers run to it and they are safe. We are going to receive the offering message that will be done by Dr. Maguarela. And after that, we are going to receive the word of God by Pastor Mondi. But before that, let us go and worship the Lord with a song. Be blessed. Between what remains of me and the reckoning, either 
Cause I know that's where you'll be Come to church, come everywhere Cause I know that's where you'll be Come to church, come everywhere Greetings, People's Church. I hope you're still well and safe. Two weeks ago, we started a series called Built to Last. And I was really challenged with last week's message that had to do with community. It, it really just spoke to my heart that we are better, we are safer while we are in a community. We are better together. And it reminds me of what the psalmist says in Psalms 133. He starts off by saying, Behold how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. And I believe that when he's talking about brethren, it's not just siblings or people that you're related to. Is people that you are joined together for a common purpose. We are brothers and sisters in Christ. So he says, behold how good and how pleasant it is when we dwell together in unity. And the author goes on to, 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 to paint this picture of what this unity looks like. What, what this beautiful and pleasant picture looks like. Looks like. Verse 2 he says, it is like the precious oil upon the head running down on the beard, the beard of Aaron running down on the edge of his garment. It is like the dew of Hermon descending upon the mountains of Zion. For the Lord commanded the blessing. For there the Lord commanded the blessings life forevermore. So the author gives us a picture of this unity. Not just its picture, but also its result. And when he's talking about this oil that is running down, you can picture it's not just a little bit of oil. It, it looks, sounds like it's a lot of oil, precious oil, because for it to run down from the head right down to the edge of his garment, it had to be a lot of oil. That is what unity amongst us brings. And this is very relevant when we are living during this time where it's about our individual blessings. The psalmist says, no, it's not just about you. When we, when we come together, it's not just my blessings, it's not just what benefits me. When we are in this community, it's what benefits us. Unity is not just a cute word to say. It's where God has commanded his blessings. So when we come together, there is something that God is about to do among us. So church is not just some, some, somewhere where we go to get our individual needs met. It's somewhere where we go so that collectively God can do something. There's some, when you come, there's something that in you that is beneficial to me. When I come, there's something in me that God has put in me that is beneficial to you. Same thing that happens when we give. It's really, it's not the size of your giving, but the fact that collectively what we give makes an impact in the kingdom. 
because that is where God has commanded his blessings to dwell. God bless you as you continue to give faithfully towards people's church. Hello church at home. It's so good to be with you again. And as always, it's a privilege and an honor to be able to bring God's word today. And so today we are on part three of our relationship series that we started two weeks ago titled Relationships That Are Built to Last. Basically, we are just sharing principles that we are hoping will help you to be able to enjoy relationships that are, that are strong, that are built to last. And in week one, we basically took a step back and looked at the purpose of relationships. What we're saying there is that the first thing about relationships that are built to last is that they are mission-minded. They have a mission that is outside, a shared mission that is outside of the relationship, which acts as a glue that binds the two people together through the highs and the lows of life. And in week two, which was this past Sunday, we we're talking about the importance of community and basically we looked at you know the importance and the value of community in our lives and then applying what we learned there into relationships as well and so the second thing about relationships that are built to last is that they exist within community they leverage the power of healthy community and there were two things that we learned last sunday and i'm wondering if you remember what they were the first one regarding community is that we are indeed better together and this is more than just a a catchy phrase or a cliche it's actually a bible truth we are better together and the second thing we learned is that community provides protection and today we'll take a look at a very important uh, subject, which is basically gender roles within the relationships or within the marriage. And before we go into it, let me just remind you of the reason why we are doing this series in the first place. And it is this, that our heart for this series is to see people being helped to be able to build godly, healthy, and strong relationships. We want to help you to enjoy the beauty of the gift, which are healthy relationships. And the other thing we have realized is that relationships are a difference maker in our lives. They can determine whether we enjoy our lives or whether we hate or loathe our lives. And we want you to win in life. And relationships play a very crucial role in that. So let us just pray and prepare our hearts before we go into it. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this day, Lord. We thank you for relationships. And relationships are a gift from you, Lord, that you want us to enjoy, that you want us to be able to see your goodness and to learn about your character through them. I pray, Father God, as we go into this topic of gender roles, that you open our minds, that you open our hearts, that you help us to hear and to receive what you have for us today. And help us to put into application what we learn today in our own life so that we may be transformed and changed. We pray for all this in Jesus Christ's mighty name. Amen. <clears throat> Amen. So the first thing as I'm going to go into this uh, very important topic, I just want to lay a foundation. And the foundation is basically looking at worldly cultures and the kingdom culture. So basically uh, the kingdom culture is the culture of the kingdom of heaven, which Jesus came to establish here on earth. And worldly culture is every other uh, human 
culture that exists here on earth. So that's the contrast and the important thing that we need to settle in our hearts concerning these two things is this, that for a believer, a person who is a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, that kingdom culture comes before our natural earthly cultures. That's the thing we need to settle in our hearts. And if we are able to settle that, it will help us. And if we are not able to settle that in our hearts, we're going to continue to bump up against something as we proceed in our Christian journey. So the thing about cultures is that there are elements in every culture that are neutral. So in other words, those are things that are, that are neither good nor bad. And there are elements in every culture that are good. You know, and then there are elements of every culture that are bad or that are sinful. And so these are the there are elements that clash with the kingdom of God and the values of the kingdom of God, and there are elements that do not clash with the kingdom of God. And what needs to happen is that those elements which do not clash with the kingdom of, of God and the kingdom culture, we are free to keep and to continue practicing and doing those things even after we become followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. And those elements that do clash with kingdom culture, with what the scripture and the Bible says, those things we need to reject, those things we need to eliminate and drop from our lives so that we can align our lives to what the scripture says, how we are supposed to live our lives. This is very important indeed. And so let me make an example for you to just try and clarify it. Let's say you have placed your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. You are a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, and you have accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior in, into your life. And so you cannot at the same time, continue to sacrifice to ancestors and asking them to speak to God on your behalf. You may ask yourself, why? Well, if you go to 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 5, it is abundantly clear. Paul writes this. He says, For there is one God, and there is one mediator between God and man, which is the man Christ Jesus. And so right here, we actually have a clash between so many of our cultures as Africans and what the Bible teaches and what the scriptures teach in terms of kingdom culture. And so what needs to happen is that when we become followers of the Lord Jesus Christ, those elements in our culture which clash with the kingdom culture as it is uh, 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 revealed in the scriptures, those things we need to drop, those things we need to stop practicing in our lives and align our lives to what the scriptures. Let me just clarify a few things. Number one, is there anything wrong with a person remembering their loved ones who have passed away? And the answer is absolutely not. There's nothing wrong with remembering your family members, your loved ones who have passed away. Number two, do your loved ones who have passed away have special access to God and therefore can relay your messages to him? And the answer, according to the scriptures, is no. They actually do not have that special access. They do not get much closer to God after they pass away. And lastly, uh, do your loved ones who pass away automatically, you know, all become demons? And the answer there is no as well. They do not automatically become demons. Some of, sometimes these things are not clearly, um, clearly explained and maybe not also not clearly understood, but they need to be clearly understood. And so what I'm saying is that 
when a person becomes a follower of Jesus Christ, they don't stop becoming part of the culture that they were a part of before. You know, you can still continue. In fact, you do continue being part of the same culture that you were part of before. But what, become, what needs to become clear is the distinction between what is primary and what is secondary. When you become a child of God, Kingdom culture, what the Bible teaches, becomes primary and everything else becomes secondary. And the things that are good in our earthly culture, we are free to celebrate and continue doing. And the things that are neutral, we can tolerate. We can, you know, um, leave them if we want to. We can continue doing them if we want to. But the things that are bad, the things that are sinful, we need to reject them from our lives. We cannot continue practicing those things because we belong to another kingdom as children of God. And so this is very important because every culture essentially has very strong views and, and opinions when it comes to relationships and marriage and family and raising kids and those kinds of things. And But the truth of the matter is that as children of God, we need to filter everything we believe through the filter of the word of God and we need to weigh everything against the word of God. Of God, and I don't want to, you know, take this lightly. For some people, this is a real tension, and I do. I would encourage you to to um, to try and continue to reconcile this tension, to resolve this tension. Because if you are not able to resolve it, I believe you are going to have problems down the line in your Christian walk. So take the time, you know, to wrestle with it in your heart until you are at peace in your heart and in your mind with what you believe. And so I hope we're still all okay, uh, you know, today before I go into what I'm going to talk about today. So basically today, uh, most of what I'm going to be talking about is going to be addressed towards men. And, and there's a couple of reasons for that. The first reason is that I myself am a man. And so I do believe that, you know, in the history, historically, men have not done a good job at thinking for and speaking on behalf of women. You know, on many issues, on many subjects. That's the first reason. But the second reason is because I believe, according to the word of God, that men have been given the responsibility to lead their households, to lead their wives, you know, to lead the relationship and to lead their families. And in fact, leadership is, is very important. It is crucial. That is why I'm going to be spending uh, some time to talk into that. In fact, John Maxwell says this. He says, everything rises and falls on leadership, which basically means that leadership is incredibly important. It is a difference maker in our lives. That is why I'm going to be focusing on it as well today. And so if we go back to the passage of scripture that we read two weeks ago, which is basically found in Ephesians chapter 5, from verse 11 right up until the end of the chapter. We're not going to read it again today, but yeah, you're free to, to go and read the entire chapter afterwards. But basically what Paul does is that he has two sets of instructions. The, set, the first set of instructions is directed towards wives, and the second set of instructions is directed towards husbands. So for, firstly, he, he addresses the wives, and he says this. He says, wives are to submit to their own husbands in everything. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ Jesus is the head of the church. And then he turns to husbands. And he says to husbands that they are to love their wives, even as Christ Jesus loves 
the church and gave himself up for her. And for me, the obvious question is, and that's the question that I want us to look at today, is what does it actually mean practically? What does it mean day to day? You know, what does it mean? What do these instructions mean? How do they play out practically in our lives? And that's what we're going to focus on. And this is the starting point I would like to propose as we are beginning to investigate what Paul means by these things. This is the starting point. This is where we will start. This is where we begin our investigation. And it is this, that whatever it means, whatever Paul means by these two things, whatever it means cannot be something that contradicts the rest of the Bible. I hope you can understand the logic with me there. That whatever it means, you know, what Paul is talking about, it actually cannot contradict what the rest of the Bible teaches. That is where we begin because we must, the Bible must uh, harmonize within the rest of the other parts of the Bible. What is, is taught by one author needs to be able to harmonize with the rest of the authors of the scriptures because we believe that the Bible has one message and so it cannot contradict itself. So that is our starting point. So we're going to ask ourselves, what else does the Bible teach us as it concerns uh, relationships and wives and husbands? And here we will do two important things. Firstly, we will first stay within the same chapter, which is Ephesians chapter 5. And we will try and get some clues there. Then secondly, what we're going to do, we're going to look elsewhere, you know, in other parts of the scriptures. But we will remain within the same author. And I believe that is important, you know, to me. Um, so Basically, what we are going to read from the scriptures today is all written by the same person. So for me, you may be asking yourself, you know, why is that important? And, it, and my reasoning is this, that if maybe Paul writes and says one thing, and Peter writes elsewhere and says something that is contradictory or vastly different to what Paul has said, I believe that creates an opportunity for us to be able to pick and choose what we like and leave what we do not like. And so that's the reasoning that we are going to stick with the same author because I believe if it is all said by the same person, if it's all written by the same person, then the only option we have is either to take it or to leave it. And so that's what we're going to do. So firstly, we'll start with just looking at the same chapter, Ephesians chapter 5. And if you go to the very first verse, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1, this is what it says. It says, therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. And so if you are taking notes, write this down, that as a beloved child of God, in everything I do, I will seek to be an imitator of God. As a beloved child of God, in everything I do, I will seek to be an imitator of God. And this is what Paul encourages us to do, is to imitate God in everything that we do. So then the, this brings us to this question, that uh, what, does then, what does that mean in context to our question, to what we are trying to uh, investigate? How, how does that help us if we are, to, if we are asked and, and instructed to be imitators of God in everything? And I believe it means this, that whatever Paul means in Ephesians chapter 5 as it directs to women, uh, to wives and husbands, whatever he means cannot be in violation of God's nature as it is revealed in the scriptures. So whatever it means, it needs to be consistent with the nature of God because we are called to be imitators of God in everything, including 
relationships. Cool. I hope we're still together there. Well, then the next question that we need to ask ourselves is how is God like? What is the nature? What is the character of God like? And for that, we turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 4 to 8, which is a very specific uh, portion of scripture that I hope, that I believe will help us to get to understand a little bit of who God is and how God is like. And you may ask yourself, you know, why this particular uh, portion of scripture? Why this specific one? Firstly, uh, John writes and he says that God is love, which basically means that when we get to learn about the nature of love, we get to learn and know a little bit about the nature of God because God is love. And so this particular portion talks about love and I believe it will help us to understand how God is and who God is. And so this is what Paul writes. This is uh, very important to understand as well that this, what we're about to re read now, is also written by the same author who gave those two instructions in Ephesians 5. So this is what he says. He says, love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not re rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. And basically what he says here is 16 things about love. He says 16 attributes, you know, uh, uh, characteristics of what love is like. And let me just read them to you again. One by one, starting from the first one, love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not boast. Love is not arrogant. Love is not rude. Love does not insist on its own way. Love is not irritable. Love is not resentful. Love does not rejoice at wrongdoing. Love rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things. Love believes all things. Love hopes all things. Love endures all things. And lastly, love never ends. So what does it mean for you and I to be imitators of God as dearly beloved children? I believe it means that we need to display these qualities and grow in them over time. That is what being an imitator of God means. It means we will display in our lives these characteristics, these attributes, and we will actually grow in them over time. And so let's make it practical. If your partner is driving you absolutely crazy, you know, you clearly agreed to leaving the house at half past eight in the morning so that you are able to make it in time to wherever you are going. And now it is half past eight in the morning and she's still getting dressed. Well, I believe this is an opportunity for you to remind yourself that love is patient, that love is kind. And that's what being an imitator of God may look like to you in that particular moment. Or if your partner, you know, did the same thing that you advised them over and over again not to do. And now they are, you know, reaping the consequences of their actions. I believe this is also an opportunity for you and I to remind ourselves that love does not boast. That love is not arrogant. And that's what being an imitator of God may look like for you in that particular moment. Or lastly, if you have an important decision to make as a couple, you, make an, you have an important decision that is in front of you to make, and you are tempted to say, you know, we must do things this way because I am the head of the family. I am the man. 
Well, even in that, in that moment, I believe it's a moment to remind yourself. It's an opportunity for you to remind yourself that love does not insist on its own way. And that's what, you know, being an imitator of God may look like to you in that particular moment. And so second point I want to touch on is the biblical model of leadership. Biblical model of leadership. Our model, you know, for all of life. I joked about it in two weeks ago that for Paul, it did not matter what the question was. The answer always stayed the same. The answer is Jesus. And it's the same. Our model for life and for leadership is our Lord Jesus Christ. And so we will quickly turn to Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 to 8, to get a glimpse of what uh, the Bible teaches as our model of leadership. And this, again, needs to be stated that this is Paul, the same author who wrote, who gave those two instructions in Ephesians chapter 5. He's the same guy who writes this. And he says this in Philippians chapter 2, verse 3 to 8. He says, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourself. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being found, being born in the likeness of man, and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. This is a mouthful, but it's very important for us to understand this is the biblical model of leadership. And what it boils down to is this, that in the kingdom of God, leadership is through service. We lead through serving those that have been uh, entrusted to us. Leadership, you know, is through service. That is how in the kingdom we lead. And this does not necessarily mean, you know, that a leader is everyone's doormat. You know, that they, everyone can just do whatever they want with the leader. That's not what it means. But I believe it means that the leader puts the needs and interests of those he or she leads before their own. And that's what we learn from this portion of scripture we have just read. That even Christ himself put our needs and our interests ahead of his own. And he was able to make sacrifices for those that he leads. And John Maxwell says something similar, and he says it this way. He says, if serving is beneath you, then leadership is beyond you. Let me say it again. If serving is beneath you, then leadership is beyond you. So we lead by serving those entrusted to us. We don't lead by lording it over them. You know, we don't lead by being horrible bosses over them, but we lead by serving them. Uh, serving those that have been entrusted to us, and we serve them by putting their needs and interests ahead of our own. And men, I hope that you are still with me, you know, in, in what I'm saying right now, because I believe when Paul says that husbands are the head of their wives, even as Christ is the head of the home, he means exactly this thing. I don't think he means that the husband owns the wife and can do whatever he wants with her. I don't think he means that uh, the husband is the only one whose thoughts and opinions matter. I don't even think it means that once the husband has spoken, you know, everyone should just keep quiet and obey what the husband has said. 
This is what it means, that the husband is the one who will be held responsible for how he has led his family. It means he leads through love and service to those that have been entrusted to him. And let's just make it practical as well, that if you are serving someone, then by definition, your service, you, you cannot serve them based on how you want, so that you know, they can just take it or leave it. You cannot serve the person that you are serving the way that you want. You serve them based on what they need. You know, your, the nature of your service is determined by their needs and, and you know, their, their interests. That is what defines how you serve them. Otherwise, you are not serving them. You are only serving yourself. All right. Cool. Practical. If, you, if maybe your spouse, if my spouse needs help around the house, then if I really want to serve them, if I really want to help them, then I, uh, then I need to offer to help around the house. That's the only way I can serve in that particular moment. If they need help with changing the nappy or bathing the baby, then guess what? If I really want to serve them, you know, I need to help them by changing the nappy and by bathing the baby. John Maxwell also says another statement that I found to be incredibly helpful. This is what he says. He says, a servant-hearted leader wants more for their people than they want from their people. And there's a world of a difference between those two. This is talking about motives now. Motives for doing the things that we are doing. And so as a servant-hearted husband, you want more for your wife than you want from your wife. So man, if you are writing notes, write this down. That being a leader means I want more for my partner than I want to receive from my partner. That is what being a leader means. And we lead through service. And we lead by inspiration. We inspire those that we lead to choose to follow us because they see that we want their best interest. That we have their best interest at heart and we want what is best for them. And so whenever I am angry, you know, because my wife did not do something that she was supposed to do for me, then in that moment, I should know that something is off. Because my primary attitude within the relationship should be one of looking for ways and opportunities to serve my wife instead of waiting in expectation for my wife to serve me. You know, I should constantly be asking myself, how can I save my wife today? How can I make her life a little bit easier? How can I benefit her life today? You know, what does she need? And I need to serve with that in mind. Point number three, and I close. Think responsibilities, not rights. Think responsibilities, not rights. This is very important. You know, if you want your relationship to be built to last, then think responsibilities and not Right. What do I mean? I mean, forget about what your partner is supposed to do, you know, but focus on what you are supposed to be doing, what you are responsible for doing in the relationship. That is what we need to always focus on. And it is very important to note that the sections in Paul's writing in Ephesians 5 that were directed to the wives were actually directed only to the wives and not to the husbands. And in a similar way, the sections that were directed to husbands were only directed to husbands and not 
wives. What does this mean? This means the husband should not, should not be reminding the wives. This is what Paul said you are supposed to do. This is what is my right. This is what you are supposed to do for me. They need, we need to forget about that and focus on what Paul said to us. That is the responsibility. And that's what we need to focus on. Because uh, what uh, the other person does and, and uh, teaching that person and reminding them to do what they are supposed to do. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. And what we are supposed to be doing is, is to be asking the Holy Spirit to help us be able to do, to fully uh, discharge the responsibilities that have been given to us. So we don't have to keep on reminding one another. We don't have to keep score on how the other person is doing. We don't have to evaluate one another based on how we are doing on the things that Paul has said to the other person focus on your rights for uh, on your responsibilities forget about rights and so i need to forget about the fact that my wife is supposed to be cooking for me this is what i need to think about how can i show that i love my wife in this particular moment i need to forget about you are supposed to do x and y for me i need to think about how can i serve what does being an imitator of god look like in this particular moment. And so now here's the thing, that if I spend most of my waking hours, you know, thinking how can I serve my wife? How can I serve my partner? How can I make their lives a little bit easier today? And at the same time, she's also spending most of her wake, wake, waking hours thinking about how can she serve me? How can she make my life a little bit easier? Well, what's going to happen is that the equation is going to balance, you know, and, and the relationship is going to be strengthened. The relationship is going to benefit because you have two people that are thinking about the interests of others instead of thinking about their own interests. They are just trying to serve. They are trying to love. They are trying to give to the other person. And no one feels obligated. No one feels compelled. No one feels oppressed because it's all selfless and willingly given. And this is God's idea and God's vision for relationships and marriages that are built to last. So Tim Keller, in his book, uh, The Meaning of Marriage, he wrote about a similar thing and he said this. He said, there are three possible ways of responding to your spouse's needs. Number one, you can offer to serve the other with joy. Number two, you can make the offer with coldness and resentment. Or number three, you can selfishly insist on your own way. Only when both parties are regularly responding to one another in the first way can the marriage or relationship thrive. And so when it comes to gender roles within marriage, the Bible is clear. And the Bible teaches mutual submission and mutual serving. We are both supposed to be submitting to one another. And we are both supposed to be serving one another. Let me just conclude by giving men this challenge. This week or the next couple of weeks or the next couple of days, this is the challenge I would like to live with you or I would like to live you with. And it is this, that we should let there be nothing that we simply do not do. Within our marriage, within our homes, you know, within our families, let there be nothing that you simply do not do. 
And hear me clearly. I'm not talking about things that you cannot do because none of us can do everything. I'm talking about things that you are known that you simply do not do because you are the man or because you are the father or because you are the head. Let there be no such thing in your relationship, in your marriage. You know, you know what I'm talking about? Things such as dad just doesn't wash dishes or dad just doesn't clean. Let there be no such thing because my question would be, does he not have hands? Does he not eat? Does he not live in that same house? You know, then why does he not do it? But I'm also not saying that you need to be, these are the things that you need to be doing all the time. You know, that's not what I'm saying. You know, there's a time and place for everything. But I'm saying, let there be nothing that is known about you that you simply do not do. Because remember what, what John Maxwell said. He said, if service, if serving is, be, is beneath you, then leadership is beyond you. You cannot lead if you do not serve. And so the things that I'm talking about here, these are things that have to do with preference and attitude and have absolutely nothing to do with your ability. These are preferences. And that's why I'm saying, you know, let there be nothing that you are known for, that you just do not do. Why should there be any such thing if you are there ready to serve, ready to give, you know, ready to put the other's needs before you? And so that, that's the challenge that I would like to live with you. In fact, if you are taking notes, take this last note down. That as a leader, there is absolutely nothing that I simply do not do. As a leader, there is nothing that I simply do not do. And so surprise them one day, you know, if they know that dad just doesn't do grocery shopping, he never does grocery, surprise them one day and just go do grocery shopping and bring it, bring it back home, you know, or dad just doesn't change the baby's nappy. Just one time, you know, just surprise them, change the nappy, help around in the house. And if you don't know, you know, you don't even have a clue where to begin, ask the FNB question, how can I help you? And this is what's going to happen. What's going to happen is that your partner will thank you for it. That's the first thing. But number two, which is more important, is that she might even begin to be inspired to be kinder towards you. To even think, how can she serve you in return? How can she make your life a little bit easier? And your relationship will benefit as a result. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord God, that indeed you want us to have a full life father and a full and a satisfying life we say in john 10 10 lord that the thief comes to steal to kill and to, and to destroy but you have come that we may have life and have it more abundantly i pray lord god and i thank you father for what you have taught us today i pray that you help us to really father god be able to put these things into practice in our lives because i believe that our relationships will not be the same again our relationships will be better and our lives are going to be fuller and richer as a result and your name is going to be glorified now and forevermore we thank you lord we lift your name up in jesus mighty name amen thank you pastor mondi for such a wonderful encouraging and life-changing message i believe you're all blessed as much as i am the bible says in the book of psalm 119 that the, the word of the lord is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path it is through the word of the Lord that we get direction, that we get to know which way that we ought to take. I would encourage us that let us study the word, let us receive this word of God, and let us allow it to complete the work of the Lord in our lives. 
May you have a wonderful and fruitful week ahead. Be blessed. See you next time.